Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. I want to welcome you to our special series of Money Sense, specifically dedicated to providing valuable information regarding the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. For nearly 30 years, I have been helping listeners learn how to relate many of life's situations to their finances. This pandemic has caused wide-scale disruption in nearly every sector of our lives. No matter your personal situation, we strive to meet you where you are at, both financially and emotionally. Our guests during this series include a futurist, economist, physician, psychologist, as well as local Milwaukee business professionals to get their perspective on how you can apply their insight and expertise to your financial future. This important series will be aired on WISN AM 1130 during our regular Money Sense times, which are Saturdays at 2 o'clock p.m. and Sundays at noon. They will also be available on demand at ellenbecker.com slash money sense or on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. We hope you will find these informative and be sure to share them with your family and your friends. My guest today is Steve Parrish. He is the co-director of the Retirement Income Center for the American College of Financial Services. He is also uh, contributes to the Forbes magazine. He's an adjunct professor at Drake University Law School and the American College. Welcome to the show, Steve. It's very nice to be here. Thank you. You know, Steve, this is, you and I had a, a little bit of time to talk before we started the interview, and you had mentioned, wow, what a crazy ride in the last six months. And, you know, I often look at it, of course, with financial planning. One of the things that I always say with investments is that, you know, the market's been going up and up and down, but nobody jumps off when the roller coaster is moving, <laughs> that you've really got to take a stand, wait for things to settle down, and to make some decisions. But what we're looking at now is kind of a six-month run of a lot of information coming out, and most people don't know how to interpret it. Can you give us just a little synopsis of what you've seen? I'd be glad to. It has been a, uh, a whirlwind of six months. <laughs> right before Christmas, um, a lot of us were surprised because Congress actually got together, sang Kumbaya, and uh, passed a major legislation. And what did it deal with? It dealt with retirement. Uh, that's the SECURE Act, uh, the SECURE Act that they passed last year. And that was uh, much like two years ago, it was right before Christmas. It became a lot of it effective at the beginning of this year. And so suddenly we as planners had to just kind of scramble through and figure out what it was telling us. But it was good news because it was really aimed at dealing with the fact that people are insecure in their retirement. And so here are some legislative things to make you more secure. So um, we're all trying to get knowledgeable uh, while the rest of the families, you know, at the Christmas table. And um, then we start hearing about this thing over in China that was uh, causing some uh, dismay. And the next thing we know, um, what do you want to call it? Maybe in February, we're starting to have um, social distancing. I travel a lot doing presentations and suddenly these things get canceled like a cruise, which I was glad to cancel. And... Um, we're realizing this has a impact from a financial standpoint and so does the government. And so along comes the CARES Act and the CARES Act 
basically, uh, uh, some people call it a stimulus act, but it really isn't. It's a survival act. I mean, it's the government doing what it can do to keep uh, individuals and business in business. So if you look at the enormity of the last six months, we started with pension and retirement reform, and now we're dealing with laws that are basically throwing money at us, trying to figure out how to keep us all um, prosperous and moving forward. I think that almost everyone that I've talked to has really worried about their retirement. And I also think that this is one of the first times where everybody has worried about whether they'll get sick and die right. as well. And how important is this whole, um, is looking at this now for people as far as the retirement, as far as planning, how should people be approaching that? It's almost like people have so many other things on their mind that they're not thinking about this piece. Right, and that's, that's been a problem all along because so many people have been living paycheck to paycheck. <laughs> Government knows that's not sustainable. So long, you know, they come along, pass a law, trying to help encourage that and to get people thinking about it. And right about the time that maybe people are starting to think about it, certainly a bigger issue came up. And that's like you said, the, the health issue. We shouldn't start with finances. We should start with, am I going to make it? And so um, I think that in some ways though, I've been saying to people the, and I don't mean to be Pollyanna about this, but it has made people more aware. And in really two major areas, my background's really um, more in estate planning. And I teach lawyers um, estate planning. Well, the fact is we could never get people to think about that. Uh, you know, who wants to talk about dying? It was hard enough to get them to think about retiring. But now we have people saying, what happens? What happens if I go in the hospital and my loved ones can't go in there and I can't tell them whether I want to uh, be resuscitated, I want a ventilator and all that. So you have the, what if I die too soon issue. But I think people are also starting to worry about the living too long, the longevity issue, only in the sense that even though people are totally focused on, and, and understandably are, on COVID-19 and all that, there is that feeling of, and then what? And I'm not sure people were thinking of, and then what, as long as things were all roses and they were doing okay and they had a job and all that. Now people are saying, have I really thought about what happens next? So I think it is a way of catching the consumer's attention, even though they're distracted by the disease right now. Can you, maybe it would be a good place to start to just really define a little bit more about the SECURE Act and how it will impact people? Sure. Um, there were a, a number of different things that the SECURE Act did, and the way I would put it is some of them are now things you should really be thinking about now. Some are soon things. Is You, you really, I know we, we've got the to worry about social distancing and all that, but we really ought to start thinking about soon, and some, frankly, are later. So if I could just kind of maybe summarize that, um, a few things that they did is um, for those who have been saving for retirement, one of the issues was that they were going to be forced to take that money once they got to 70 and a half. And that's what are called uh, required minimum distributions. And for some people that was troublesome because they really didn't want or need that money and wanted to pass it on. The SECURE Act did change that to basically say you can wait to age 72 to have to start taking some of that. Um, 
Another one, I'm just giving you some examples, is that they said, um, if you're gonna continue working, because now lots of us keep working past normal retirement ages, um, then you ought to be able to put money in an IRA. So they expanded the years that you can put money into an IRA. With younger um, workers, um, another thing they added is, what if you need to get at your money? And again, this is before the COVID-19 hit. But they said, you know what, if you're going to have a, um, your first birth or a, an adoption or whatever, we're now going to let you take out some of the money from your retirement accounts to help pay for that. So that was meant to be kind of for a younger audience. And so a lot of these things are coming along and um, they involve planning because you got to start thinking who your beneficiaries are. Um, you know, there's the Roth IRAs versus regular IRAs. There's the planning opportunities for that. So all this is going along. There are, just so you know, some features that are going to take a while before it comes to anything uh, worth worrying about. And I, I want to mention them only because I think some people are focused on them. There's not much you can do about it anyway. Um, example is um, annuities uh, in 401ks. It's an interesting idea, but it's going to take a long time before that happens. Um, permanent part-time people in the gig economy might be able to be included for making 401k contributions. Great, but it's going to take a while before we have regulations. And uh, finally, one of the things they said is, gee, in your 401k, your employer is going to have to give you this lifetime income illustration so you really know how much you're going to have in retirement. But again, great, that's going to take a <laughs> while. That's kind of the SECURE Act in one big shot. We're going to take a quick break, and then, Steve, when we come back, um, to go a little bit deeper into that estate planning that you teach, and that is such an important piece, when we come back, could we talk a little bit on some of these retirement accounts and things about the importance of beneficiary designations, sure. and also a little bit on um, the credit protection, because they've changed that on IRAs in terms of passing that. Uh, I know that a lot of people now are starting to think about what are the things that I should be doing and could be doing. And one of them is to review your estate planning documents and to make sure that it's, it's what you want. Now you've just thought maybe to yourself, whoa, what if I die? Well, what if you die? Are things in order? Let's talk about that. And with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. I'm the founder and the senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. My guest today is Steve Parrish. He's the co-director of the Retirement Income Center for the American College of Financial Service. And he's also a professor at Drake University Law School and of the American College. And so I'm thrilled that he is here to talk about some of these really important issues that people are always worried about. You know, sometimes what people worry about is, do I have enough money? Um, how long will my money last? And, but truly one of the things to think about is if you do have resources, how will you pass them to your beneficiaries? And will they have a positive impact or a negative impact? So Steve, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure, I'd be glad to. And I think we have to acknowledge that with what's going on with COVID-19, we have to deal with some things up front and right now. Um, one of the concerns, for example, is making sure that you have a power of attorney. Uh, people are worried about going in the hospital and not having anybody be able to, to speak on their behalf, make all those decisions. So all I want to point out is the attorneys are very busy uh, signing documents on the hoods of cars these days. <laughs> 
um, or be, uh, trying to do things uh, digitally, which the law doesn't always allow. So I just want to point out things like wills and powers of attorney actually are a little bit back in vogue. But we also have more of the long-term prospects of, gee, I have this money and I, I eventually, um, none of us get out of this alive. Where, where does it all go? And so many people these days have so much of their wealth tied up in qualified retirement plans and IRAs. That's just kind of where it is. And think about what um, led, where, where we've been with that. Uh, in the past, as far as passing on any excess money you have that you aren't going to spend in retirement from your IRAs, um, you had these great things with IRAs that they were creditor proof and you could stretch them out over the life expectancy of um, your heirs like your kids. And guess what? Neither one of those are the case right now. Um, the U.S. Supreme Court basically said, well, once they're inherited, we don't really see them as protected. And so I'm not saying anybody's going to go in and steal the money, but that is an issue. And then the other is the SECURE Act basically, and we won't get into all the technical stuff, but basically said with your kids and grandkids, um, you can't stretch it out over their lifetime. You basically have to liquidate it in 10 years. So... Uh, that's a concern for people, but let me throw one that's even more near and dear and, and needs to be dealt with right away. We anticipated a lot of this, so we put those IRAs in um, protected creditor trusts, and they allowed a trustee to basically make sure you weren't a spendthrift and, and that kind of thing. Great idea. Unfortunately, because of the way the SECURE Act came out, those things have to be reviewed. They actually could harm the family, um, they could completely uh, unrail <laughs> your retirement plans. They have to be looked at. There are solutions, but you have to come up with a new trust for making sure you get those monies to the kids. And if I can add one other thought is because these rules have changed, there are alternatives. Maybe some of the money you use uh, to buy life insurance and, and give an inheritance and in life insurance rather than just IRAs. That's just one example. Nobody likes to pay tax on those IRAs. Nobody, you know, it's the, it's the craziest thing because I'll have clients and they'll say, oh, I don't want to take it out and pay tax. I said, but you're really not paying tax any all that time. But nobody ever thought that these IRAs and these qualified plans could possibly grow to where they are. Because when I started out over 33 years ago in this industry, it was sell your clients tax deferred products because they'll be in a lower income tax when they actually retire. Well, that's not true either. Well, in many cases, especially if they have pensions. Right. And I would add that people think, okay, so I have to pay tax in 10 years instead of over a lifetime. Well, it's not that simple. What happens is, first of all, we all know there are different marginal tax brackets. So if it's pushed into a small uh, amount of years, you're going to pay more tax than if you're spread it out. But another one that's become big, and this I'm not talking about rich people, just people who have some affluence, is when you get extra income like this pushed into certain years, it throws off a lot of other formulas. For example, um, whether people believe it or not, Medicare is definitely means tested. So if you make too much money, you pay more for your Medicare Part B than other people. Um, it throws it into this formula that's sometimes called the Obamacare tax, where you pay a, an extra 3.8% tax. 
Um, it might throw up your income for Social Security. People don't always realize that a part of their Social Security benefit is taxed. So what seemed like just that you have to pay your tax a little earlier is a lot bigger because that extra hit of uh, money coming in throws all these other taxes out of whack. Well, they're also talking about Social Security becoming a needs-based system. And, you know, that is going to be really important to have other sources of income. Absolutely. And it's funny you say that because this morning I posted the first of a three-part series I'm doing on Social Security in Forbes. And what I've come up with as a title is the insecurity of Social Security. I'm not <laughs> the alarm that you're not going to get your Social Security, but not me saying this, the trust fund for the Social Security said, look, here's the deal at the current, um, under current assumptions, we will not be able to pay Social Security at your full benefit starting in somewhere around 2034. However, all these actuarial assumptions are pre-COVID-19. And when you think about a huge, you know, uh, uh, like 20% unemployment that, that's been anticipated, suddenly a lot less payroll income tax is coming into the system. And so that 1930, I'm sorry, that 2034 date may be pushed uh, much closer to us. So I'm not saying Social Security's untrustworthy, but what would happen is when they run out of money, the uh, Social Security Trust Fund says, well, we'd be probably paying at around 76% of full benefit. So you have to start saying, I got to take care of me. I mean, Social Security is great. You still build it in your plan, but I better have a, a backup plan in case they don't pay the full benefit. When you start to think about um, individuals and spouses, often what we see is that one spouse may have worked more and have a larger retirement account than the other spouse. And they're always looking for ways that they can protect that individual, they can protect their spouse in the event that something happens to them. Because when we're talking about long-term care, when we're talking about nursing home, when we're talking about those types of things, the owner is the person who has the social security number. And so, you know, you hear about these people getting divorced late in life. And very often it's in order to divide up that large IRA. Right. There's all these moving parts that you have. So um, we used to say, uh, you tell me when you're going to die, I'll tell you what to buy. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so uh, it's interesting what's going on is you certainly still have the bedrock of things like Social Security. But as you point out, that takes a lot of planning because the, the, the longer you can stretch out taking before you take your Social Security, the better it can help that spouse who had the, the lower income. So you're not just helping yourself if you're the um, primary bed, breadwinner, you're also helping the potentially younger and less fortunate spouse. But there are so many other ways to supplement that because you don't know when it's going to happen. And um, one of the nice things is um, life insurance these days um, shouldn't even be called life insurance because it has all these different features that, uh, that can be offered. So you mentioned long-term care. That's what we all worry about. We don't want to be a burden to our family. And so now there are these kind of things where contractually you can put money in a insurance contract that says if you die too soon, you get money. If you become uh, committed to a long-term care facility, you get money if you have a chronic illness. So um, it doesn't solve everything, but it does provide extra liquidity that 
not just Social Security and IRAs are going to take care of. One of the things, and we're going to take a quick break, that I've recognized with my clients is that very often when they were younger, they bought um, term insurance to pay for their mortgage and, and things like that, which made a lot of sense. And I've had clients come in where they've canceled that insurance. And what I'm finding is that if younger people would be looking at getting some type of a more permanent insurance, universal or something like that, when I'm finding that most people need it is when they're about 70 or 80 years old. <laughs> and one of the things that I'll have a client will say, oh, you know, I want to take care of my spouse if I use up my, my 401k, but they're no longer insurable or they're so much older and it's too expensive. And so one of the things that we've been talking to our younger clients about is not to just have term insurance, but to have insurance that will stay with you the rest of your life so that you're protected when you get to that retirement age or you protected with long-term care. And you know, it's a little bit of a foreign idea to a lot of young people, but it's almost like now when people need insurance, they either can't get it or um, it's too expensive, it's unaffordable. Right, and I would just add very quickly that it's not just because you're too old um, or because you're uninsurable, but now with COVID-19, the other issue is some insurance companies aren't even going to issue it at older ages because of the unknown risk of um, elder people and COVID-19. My guest today is Steve Parrish, and he is a specialist in business and personal financial planning. And with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, and I am the founder of the Ellenbecker Investment Group, Senior Wealth Manager. And we're talking about things that are so dear to my heart. I love, love, love estate planning because I think it's something that people really avoid talking about because who wants to talk about dying, right? But yet in this new COVID-19 situation, there have been so many situations that have come up for me. I've had two clients pass away in nursing homes during this time, which the impact on families was totally devastating. I have another client whose aunt fell and he could do nothing and they can't change the documents. And before this, Steve had said that there were some implications with COVID on who's going to be covered. So this is really important for everybody to understand, to be proactive and to take the time to look at where you are. My guest today, Steve Parrish, he is a co-director of the Retirement Income Center for the American College of Financial Services, and he is a a contributor to Forbes magazine. Steve, what can people do? How can people be proactive and as you said earlier, it's, it's not if I die, it's when I die. None of us get out of here. <laughs> Karen, let's first do some myth busting. And that is uh, people go, oh, estate planning, that's for rich people. Well, that's wrong. I mean, if you have uh, something you want to pass on to your heirs, then you need estate planning. A second one is, well, I don't want anything in probate. And they're not sure what probate is, but they know they don't want it. Um, the fact is, most of us, when we uh, pass on, if you don't want to say the word die, um, really won't have that many assets go into probate and it won't be that big a deal assuming you did some planning in advance. What I mean is we've been talking about IRAs. IRAs pass contractually, meaning you put down who you want to get your remaining IRA balance when you pass on. It could be your spouse, your kids, whatever. It doesn't have anything to do with going through your probate estate. It's something you tell 
the um, carrier or the custodian that has your IRA money. The same is true for banks. So you can have a POD or a payable on death account that says, I want my kids or my spouse to get my bank account when I die. And this doesn't mean they're joint owner. They can't get at the money while you're alive unless, that's, unless you set it up that way. Uh, the same for your securities in your um, security account. Um, insurance, let's think about life insurance. You set up a, a designation. You don't make your estate the beneficiary, you make your spouse, your kids, whatever. But you have to do this all proactively. You can even do it with real estate by having a, a joint owner. But Karen, you, you bring up the point is what happens if, if you suddenly do go into the hospital and all that kind of thing, and boy, are we seeing that in spades. Um, that can be dealt with partly by getting your designations right. So if something does happen to you, um, your bank account would go to your child if you have a, a POD, payable on death account. But you, as I mentioned before, you wanna have um, a, a power of attorney so that somebody can make your medical decisions, pull the plug, or the financial decisions. What do I do? Do they want a you know, big uh, funeral or what? Um, there are other ways to do it. Maybe you have your kids, if you really, 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 really trust them as your joint account owners. Um, the other thing I would mention, and this is something to be very, very aware of, is how you have your assets digitally. So many of us do um, electronic banking and that kind of thing. Um, what people don't always realize is if you give your spouse your password on your electronic banking and something happens to you and that spouse uh, goes in and gets the money they need, that technically is a felony under federal law. There are some very specific things you have to do with your assets digitally. It's not that tricky or anything else, but these kind of things have to be planned for. And I, I think if there's any positive from the COVID-19 um, debacle is at least we now are aware these things need to be dealt with. Again, they aren't that complicated, but they need to be dealt with before, not after. One of the things that happened with um, one of my clients when his aunt fell and she realized that her CD was coming due and that it was in her own name. It wasn't in her estate plan. And so he went to help her and the bank wouldn't help him. He couldn't get in to see her at the home where she was recuperating. Um, could not get into the bank to get to the safety deposit box where the documents were. And it was a nightmare. And, you know, the aunt is older. And so often I remember my mother, they didn't want to talk about anything because I think they thought if you knew how much money they had, you'd want it or something like that. And, um, but it's truly estate planning is for the people you love who are going to step in and do things for you. And particularly if you're incapacitated in some way, which so many people were unexpectedly, and yet there was, there was no way that people could make decisions for them. And this is a wake-up call for everybody to make sure that how your bank accounts are titled, how your beneficiaries are titled. And the other thing that I would say, people are always talking to me about their legacy, their legacy. And generally, the first thing they go to is their financial legacy. But you also can leave a legacy of a mess <laughs> for people to take care of or not. And also a legacy of who the advisors are in, in there. Now, this client called me 
on, you know, an evening at eight o'clock at night and talk to me and I'm available for my clients. And if anything would have happened to him, I know his children and he knows that I'll be there for him. I think it's really important for people to take this situation and look at how their advisors treated them and look if they were available and start making some really good decisions on who they want to work with because your team, your team is going to be your children's team or your beneficiary's team. Yes, and I'm glad you emphasized team because of that old expression, none of us are as smart as all of us. Um, the fact is that none of us can really grasp everything we're talking about here. I, I talk a good game, but there's no way I know all the, all the things that are going financially. The fact is you do need a team. So uh, as an example, um, wills, people should have a will unless you want the state to tell uh, what happens to your money. And in that still, you need an attorney, I think. Uh, there's legal Zoom and those kind of things and certainly worth consideration, but it's probably worth the money for the attorney. Some things you can do yourself. Powers of attorney, the states, uh, typically, if you Google it, will have a fill-in-the-blank form um, or a living will, you know, an advanced directive. Some of those you can do. Um, things like investing, well, sure, in theory, you can do it yourself, but it might be worth it to have a financial planner who can actually do it and make sense of it, figure out how it all works. Having an accountant do your, uh, your taxes and your books. The fact is, uh, think about it this way. Here's some strange math. If you don't coordinate your advisors, two plus two plus two can equal one, meaning they can work at odds against each other and mess up your plan. So um, if you get them all together and make sure you're the boss or maybe appoint one of them as, as your um, quarterback, if you will, two plus two plus two can equal 10, meaning they work off of each other's skill sets and really make your plan shine because one's aware of the uh, taxes and can say, look out. The other one, can, the attorney can say, well, I'll catch that in the will. The insurance agent picks it up in the beneficiary designations. The investment advisor figures out how it works with the IRAs and all that. So if there was ever a clarion call for working with advisors as a team, we're seeing it happen in real time because of the COVID-19 situation. We're going to take a quick break. And Steve, when we come back, could we talk about some of the exceptions and the hardships? And a lot of people are really worried about paying their school loans. They're able to take out maybe some money and parents can help them. And what are some of the things that might be uh, available that people really haven't you know, thought about? And with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellen Becker. My guest today is Stephen Parrish, and he has been giving us some really amazing information. And this is a very difficult time. And I'm so happy that, you know, he's willing to take the time to give you some insight that you can be proactive. And some of the things that you're hearing about friends and neighbors and family even that have had to suffer through this COVID because of restrictions and things that we didn't anticipate can really, you know, be handled prior to anything happening. And I know that Steve's got a lot to talk to you about, but I did want him to talk a little bit about some of the hardship clauses and if you're going through adoptions and exceptions and student loans and things like that. I'd be glad to, Karen, um, because at the end of the day, I want to bet for you, not against you, meaning <laughs> with 
a lot about death, and we may come back to that topic because of what's happening with COVID-19, but the odds are uh, that we will live a longer time and um, hopefully prosper. But right now, there is a liquidity crunch or whatever you want to call it. A lot of people are worried about, will I have enough? So let's, let's spend a, little, a few minutes just uh, thinking through that. Uh, the CARES Act, uh, which we haven't really talked about a lot, is a combination of a rifle and a shotgun. It gives a lot of things where it just throws money out, um, but it also has some focus things. So just be aware, it is worth looking into some of those things. Um, examples is the temporary forgiveness of student loans. Well, that may be very important during this period of time. I'm a professor and I know some of these students are actually stuck on campus and wonder what's gonna happen and their parents are worried about it. You wanna be checking into that. Um, there are ways of dealing with that. Another one is, and I would uh, suggest caution in thinking about it, the government really open up the floodgates with your own IRAs and your 401ks. And what's not always understood is they basically liberalize the rules so that you could borrow out virtually all of your 401k if your employer will allow it. That has to be in their document. But that gives you access to the money, and then you have three years to pay it back. Um, similar with um, IRAs, you could take withdrawals and you can pay it back. The deal is just be aware that you want to think at this point that this is not going to last forever. So what's the easiest way of getting at money? I would suggest the two worst ways of getting at money right now are to run up your credit cards because the interest rates are so high and going against your IRAs and your 401ks if you can at all avoid it only because your retirement income. I want to bet for you, you are going to make it to retirement. So I think there are other things to look at. If you have um, life insurance that has cash value, that's a source of money. Banks actually are fairly interested in lending right now um, because, you know, they don't have anywhere else to go. And so they are getting fairly good about that. Um, I hate to say it, but uh, we do have family and it might be worth not necessarily distributing the wealth, but sharing the wealth during these tough times. So all I'm getting at is thinking through how are you gonna get through this liquidity crunch? Because there may be other ways than just running up your credit cards and going against your IRAs. One of the other things, Steve, that I've had some clients do is they have home equity lines of credit. And instead of giving their kids money, I've suggested that they um, borrow from their home equity line of credit and let the kids pay back that line of credit on a monthly basis, whatever works. And that way they have a little bit more flexibility and um, they're not taking money out of their, out of their retirement accounts. And, you know, you have to be fairly certain that your kids are going to continue to pay back, but at least if, if they don't, you do have the money somewhere else to pay it, but it's kind of having them have, take some ownership in that debt as well. Right. Um, those kind of things. And a lot of it's almost being contrarian because, you know, never lend to your, neither, neither a borrower nor a lender be. And yet right now, some of those things make sense. Let me give you another example is right when we're all worried about, are we going to have money? Um, I'm saying you may want to do things like increase the amount of money you put into retirement because you may need it. Who knows where social security takes us. So. And it's low right now. <laughs> you get a lot more for your money. Yeah. Well, and that's where I was going is, and I actually did that personally, is the market was really, really down a couple months ago. 
And so I converted some of my IRA money to a Roth IRA. You go, well, wh why'd you do that? It's because the market is terrible. That means that I was able to pay tax on a lower amount. And if you are in a situation where you know you're gonna be back working eventually, but you're making less money right now, maybe you're on a commission or something, this is a good time to do a lot of those things that are taxable, which I know is contrarian to just common sense, but it makes good sense because taxes are low and the market's down, use that to your advantage. You know, Steve, one of the things that um, several parents have thought about is signing notes and loans and co-signing. And it's not that it's a, a, a bad thing to do, but you have to understand that if your child or whoever you're signing for doesn't maintain that note, you're on the hook and it could change your credit standing. Yes, that's um, something we have to remember is there are going to be a lot of creditors looking around for uh, debtors that owe the money. And so the simple fact is you got to take care of yourself It's for the family's benefit. And the fact is they, there are things called filial laws that basically mean you're responsible for your family's debts. It could even be a adult child responsible for grandma in the retirement home. And so you really do have to consider how are you going to cover it um, having these things documented, getting the assets um, out of, like if you own a business, maybe you start to need to move some of the money out of your business so they can't get at it that way. Um, that's just common sense. That's not being greedy or anything else. Again, if you're really trying to benefit the family, you have to get through this um, as well as your kids. So you might as well document everything you're doing with them. Okay, so I'm going to jump on that word family. You and I talked a little bit about it during the break. And one of the things that I see coming out of this is the importance of the family. Do you know, we never had dinners together. Now we're eating together all the time, which has really changed it. But what an opportunity to have a family meeting. Can you talk a little bit about that importance so that they hear it from someone other than me all the time is the importance of getting together and dealing with that elephant that's in the room or just all the things that are important to you. I'll be glad to and I'll start with the the classic story of the small business owner who has the daughter and the son who one of the two is going to take over the business when the uh, the owner leaves and we're all going to leave one way or another but they don't want to talk about it. The fact is I've always reminded business owners, well, wouldn't you want when you're gone for your kids to get together at Thanksgiving and say nice things about you? Let's be honest, that's part of your legacy. Well, I'll tell you what, your daughter and your son are not going to uh, be there at Thanksgiving saying nice things about you. They're not even going to talk to each other if you don't deal with that right up front. And especially with what's going on with COVID-19, we're seeing those kind of things where that cathartic event where you really got to express what you thought and, and said your I'm sorry's and all that, you never get to do. And that's why it's very important is, and maybe you do it by Zoom, but getting together with the family, talking it through. And it's not just the I'm sorry's, it's also some of the financial stuff. Uh, letting them know what your plans are, letting them know where your will is. I mean, some of those kind of things, things to make it easier for your family to get by if something happens to you, but also give you that sense of um, relief and knowledge that you've taken care of this in advance. Because I think if we've learned anything from COVID-19 is that we're not in control. And so the more you can deal with that, both on the personal and the financial side would be helpful. What would be 
the one thing that you would like to share with our listeners today to um, encourage them to take this very seriously and to ask the questions, not to not be afraid to ask questions. I think it uh, could be best expressed by what my Apple Watch does. It actually has a function that reminds me to stand every so often and to breathe every so often. Well, the same thing applies, as strange as that may sound, to um, dealing with your future. We will get through this, but we're going to have to occasionally step back, figure out who's our advisor, what's our financial situation, where's our family fit into that, and maybe if you make a commitment every day to set some time aside for thinking about the future and your future and your family's future, that may be kind of like the Apple Watch that tells you to stand and to breathe every so often. And then you can go back to worrying about that or you know, uh, watching Netflix over and over and over. But really have a discipline to it. Then you actually feel good. One last thing I want to say on that is once you get some of this done, like the will sign and the IRA uh, turned into a Roth, boy, do you feel good because you know you did something. You got control back. So this is a way to get control back. I always say for me, it's like when I clean out a closet, I keep walking by that closet and I think I got to clean it on that rainy day. I'm going to clean it. And finally, I'm going to clean it and I have to take everything out. And then I put it all back in and I feel so good. And I like the idea, pause and breathe, take a deep breath and then move forward. My guest today is Stephen Parrish and he teaches advanced planning and he helps people to really make sense of the things that they want. And the key word there is of what you want. The documents can be drafted for what you want, but you've got to tell somebody about it and give them a chance to do it. Steve, thank you so very much. I appreciate the time you spent with us today. Thank you for tuning in to our COVID-19 edition of Money Sense. Our goal is to provide valuable information so that you can feel more confident in your financial decisions. You can listen to the show and any that you may have missed at ellenbecker.com slash money sense or on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. To discuss these topics and more with one of our wealth advisors, call us at 262 691 3200 or visit ellenbecker.com for a complimentary consultation.